Father, your word, a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord. And I pray for my brother and fellow elder Paul, Lord, that as he shares the meditation of his heart, Lord, that you will anoint him and that you would use him to be a channel of encouragement and blessing through your word, Lord. Let this word come alive in our heart, Lord. Let it warm our heart and let it guide us in the days ahead. So we pray, God, for attentiveness. We pray against anything that would disturb us from receiving your word with gladness of heart. And I pray for Paul, Lord, that you will strengthen him for this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning. You know, I think probably many of you have heard about this joke about, uh, you know, uh, a preacher and a, a taxi driver who went to heaven and the taxi driver was actually given a higher place in heaven because when the preacher preaches, everybody falls asleep, but when the taxi driver drives, everybody prays, right? So that was the joke. And I think that when I get to heaven, I probably might go higher than the uh, taxi driver because ever since last Sunday uh, up till just now, actually, I have a lot of people coming up to me and say, Hey, you're preaching. Ah? I pray for you. I pray for you. So actually, I don't know that's good or bad, but I... Uh, I'm happy that uh, they are praying for me. You know, what's the other challenge uh, of an occasional speaker like myself? I, I was in uh, Batam uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with a mission trip, and I was uh, sharing in one of the sessions with uh, the people of uh, Batam about uh, marriage. And then I stood up there with uh, Pastor Sarah who was going to interpret for me and I opened up my Bible to share from the Word. And lo and behold, I realized that I couldn't read the Bible because the lights there was quite dim. Um, and I was just too vain to put on my reading glasses. So uh, I brought a giant print Bible today so I won't make the mistake. But what's the challenge of a, a listener, actually? There was a, a pastor who went to the river one day and he was preparing his message. And then he saw a fisherman uh, fishing. And uh, with this fisherman, he actually had a stick, something like that. Uh, next to this fisherman and he was just observing this uh, fisherman and he was fishing and every time he catches a fish he will put the fish up to the stick and if the fish is bigger or longer than the stick he would throw it back into the river and if it is smaller he would uh, bring it home so this the particular pastor was very curious so he went up couldn't contain his curiosity, went up to him and said, 
sir, why, why are you doing that? I mean, bigger fish, better, right? So the fisherman said that, actually, I have at home a pen that is about this big. So if the, big, if the fish is bigger than this, which is bigger than a pen, then I can't fry the fish uh, on the pan. So I think you get the point. I think the word of God applies to all of us. I think when he whispers, he whispers to one, to all of us, to me, uh, not to the person next to me. So Father, we pray that today, um, you know, our prayer is not that you speak uh, to us. Our prayer is that when you speak, uh, because we know that you will, uh, is that we listen to you and obey and help us in our process of transformation. Have mercy on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's passage is taken from First uh, Kings chapter 19. Let's turn to our Bible. It's quite a long passage that I would like to read, but I think it is good that we uh, read the scripture uh, together. 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, verse 1 to 15. Um, I will read from uh, my NIV Bible, so if you could just uh, follow as well. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. So when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servants there while he himself went, to a, day's, went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I had had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jug of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him again and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much. For you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broke down your altars put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain on the, in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, 
he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenants, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus and so on and so forth. By any count, uh, Elijah is probably one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Let's look at the uh, resume of uh, Elijah. In 1 Kings 17, we know, we read that uh, Elijah told King Ahab that there will be neither dew or rain, and it was so. Uh, actually, I was thinking about this. Uh, to say there is no rain may be a little bit possible, but no dew uh, is really, really difficult. So that was what Elijah did. Elijah was fed bread and uh, meat by the raven in 1 Kings chapter 17 as well. Uh, he told the widow uh, that the jar of flour will not be used up and the oil will not be used up. That is 1 Kings chapter 17 as well and it happened. And with the same widow, he prayed for her son and returned the son's life to him. We read that in verse in First Kings chapter seventeen. Also, continuing on on the resume of Prophet Elijah, he challenged the prophets of Baal, which is probably one of the most famous passage. Call unto the Lord to send down fires for the sacrifice and slaughtered them all. We read that in eighteen, he prophesied rain. He ran ahead of King Ahab all the way to Jezebel. And he was probably uh, one and very few of the people who actually circum circumvent the way of the grave and was carried to heaven in a whirlwind by a chair of fire. And he, together with Moses, was talking to Jesus as we read also in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus was transfigured. Wow, quite a resume. I think compared to Elijah, most of us would agree that our spiritual experiences and encounters are maybe not quite as rich as this. So if this question was asked of Elijah, what are you doing here? I think we can certainly expect God to ask us this question at some point. So why did God ask Elijah, what are you doing here? A seemingly maybe rhetorical or an obvious question. I mean, he was in a cave, right? I mean, he, he was uh, afraid. So it was quite an obvious question. I met someone who works at Juchet uh, the other day uh, at the uh, Suntec City uh, 
Food Republic because I work there. He works in Jiuqian. So I know that he works in Jiuqian. He was sitting there with a cup of coffee from a toast box. So the minute I saw him, I said, Hey, what, what are you doing here? So any person can see that he is having coffee there. Right? So the question is not really, what are you doing here? As in, what are you here, what are you doing here drinking coffee? But rather, uh, what's your business here? Now my family was having dinner the, the other day and we were chatting about homework. Okay, not a very uh, exactly appetizing topic at the dinner table. But after dinner, my son just sat in front of the TV and uh, watched his uh, favorite Taiwanese show called I. I think most of you will also know that. My immediate reaction was, what are you doing here? So my question wasn't so much as in, I can't see that he's watching TV, but shouldn't you be somewhere else like doing homework? So the fact is that most of the time, if we think about the question that people ask a little bit more, most questions are not as obvious. So in the same way, when God asked Elijah this question, it is really not a request for information or clarification. God obviously knows that Elijah is in a cave. It is rather a solicitation for a confession. It is a petition for self Reflection. It is a question that is necessary for him to change Elijah's current state of standing still. It is an invitation for transformation. The reason God has to ask Elijah this question is that he was stuck in a cave that he should not be in. He is in a place where God He's not in a place where God wants him to be. He is far away from his calling. He is supposed to be back in the woods of King Ahab and Jezebel, the epicenter of godlessness. Yet he is in some cave in Horeb, the mountain of God. So you see the contrast. Godliness, godlessness, and a mountain of God. But in the end, actually, in His grace, God spoke to Elijah. As we well know, uh, not through uh, the earthquake, not through some thunder, but in a whisper and say, go back, as we have read earlier. God says, go back. Elijah obeyed. And God restored him to where he belongs. In the same way, sometimes I think we can find ourselves in a place where God does not really want us to be. A place where our adversary would be delighted to see us in. And I'm not talking about a physical place, a, a location like Amokyo or Tuapayo. 
I'm, I'm talking about being in a, a wrong spiritual place that is not in line with our in, intended inheritance. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, this is what it reads. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. This is Apostle Paul. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdoms and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy Peter, of his holy people in the kingdom of life. What are you doing here, God asks? This isn't your place of inheritance. And Elijah was not in the place of his inheritance when he was in the cave. What are some of the things that can cause us to be in the wrong place? I, I think there are many, uh, and these are the fall of them, uh, which I would say D-A-M-N, stem, excuse the punt. But these are the four possible things that could happen to us that that caused us to be in the wrong place. Discourage. We are just discouraged. Just in the case of Prophet Elijah, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord. And he said it not once, but twice. Not just zealous, but very zealous. So, so, so what, he says. I mean, Israel, after all I have done, and after all I have done, you know, rain and the widow, and we run 40 days and 40 nights, um, not once. He says, so what? Israel is the still same bunch of uh, idol worshippers. So he was discouraged. He went to the cave. So maybe we could be discouraged too. could be about many things. It could be about the church or it could be discouraged about maybe the pastor or the elder or you could be discouraged because there was no answer to your prayer or maybe some injustice that you see or you could be even discouraged about Maybe your husband or your wife or your children's school result. Whatever, there are many things that we can get discouraged and we are just discouraged with God. So this is the D. We could be in a state of uh, apathy. It is not like our lives are completely void of God. It is just that God is in the peripheral. 
it is an accessory that we wear or carry if it fits the occasion. I, I call this apathy. Or it could be money, a very, very real uh, issue. Um, I was in Batam in, the, in a trip. When I came back and I was reading uh, Luke chapter 21, one morning, about, I think, the familiar story about the widow who gave very little money compared to the rich guy. And it, it struck upon me that I have this issue. I have a money issue. Because I could go to Batam for a mission trip, paid a couple of hundred dollars out of my own pocket, apply for a couple of days of leave, I sacrifice leave, okay. But compared to the people serving there, really, they put in what Jesus said, out of their poverty, they put in all they had to live in or to live on. But I am just really giving out of my own wealth, in a sense, out of my, my excess. So it could be money. Sometimes it's just no time. No time. Lah. Busy. Um, I don't know if you have heard this uh, comment before, but I hear this quite uh, quite a bit uh, from my professional friends. Um, they say that, you know, I, I just have no time for God. I, I don't think that I reject God. I just have no time uh, for God right now. So I hope God will understand that uh, when I have a little bit more time, I will uh, go, look him up, go look him up. So it could be, it could be no time. So D.A. M N. These are some of the reasons, and all these can put us in the wrong place, away from our inheritance. Now, this is not a trick question, or does it mean to stir controversy? But sometimes it is just an honest question I ask myself. I ask myself, have I ever wondered why God redeemed humankind? Okay, I think we can say that uh, because God loves us, and it is true, this is uh, very, very true, and this is the everlasting truth. But sometimes the answer doesn't quite give me a lot of satisfaction. I mean, this is like um, having uh, pizza without Coke, you know? Or some people, maybe a little bit more local, say it's, uh, chicken rice without chili, or satay without satay sauce. So it's not very satisfactory. I believe that one of the many good reasons that God redeemed us is because of relationship. And that relationship with God is actually part of our inheritance in God. I can think of an uh, not so perfect example of this uh, relationship. Uh, this example is, is marriage. Because I think we don't, for those of us who are married or getting married, and those who are not yet married, listen to this, okay? 
We don't enter, I think, into a marriage believing that it will stop at love. There is something more behind it and something called a relationship. And that relationship is also an inheritance of a marriage. Right? When, we get ma- when we get married, we inherit many things. Okay? Some of it can be uh, money. We inherit some money. Uh, that will be good. Uh, we can inherit our mother-in-law. Okay? So better make it good. Uh, most important is you inherit a relationship with your spouse. And we must make it good. So it is the same with redemption. There is so much inheritance that accompanies redemption that we must make it work. And, and one of these is relationship with God. So let's just focus on this relationship for a while. Let me try and explain it this way. I call this redemption end-to-end. And part of this, when we are redeemed, we inherit a relationship with God. And that relationship started with a transaction. A transaction where we had a... we, We say a prayer. For example, we confess our sin. We say traditionally in, in the Christian, uh, Christendom, we say a sinner's prayer. So there was a transaction. But that relationship does not stop there. It does not stop with, that just, with just that transaction. And then it's the end. No, it doesn't. It continues on because after that transaction, there ought to be a transformation. Finally, but not uh, any less important, is what we call a transfiguration, where I think we are transfigured, we meet Jesus face to face. So, again, the example of imperfect example of a marriage, that um, a marriage, you don't stop there because you say, I do, right? Uh, together, the husband and the wife sort of, um, you know, transform together in a relationship. Uh, for example, when I wake up in the morning, in the past, I don't make my bed. I just go shower, go to work. But my wife is very particular about making beds in the morning. Even when we go on holiday, she will make the bed in the hotel. I don't know how many of you do that, but if you do that, you're not alone. So I have been transformed, so to speak. I now make my bed in the morning when I wake up. And I'm asking my children to do the same. My wife used to like crab, but I don't like crab. Since we are married, I would say she doesn't like crab as much as before. So that was maybe a transformation. And transfiguration, I think, an imperfect example of this is after we're married for many years, uh, people start to say we look alike of one another. It's a bit scary, but... 
Don't laugh. I think many married couples here, you, you also look like one another. So that, that is sort of try and draw the illustration between our relationship uh, with Christ. Now, Prophet Elijah was in the middle of a relationship, but the transformation was a little bit stunk because he was in a cave. So God was asking him, uh, what are you doing here? Are we in the middle of a relationship with God? I think yes, I would say so. Can our transformation be a little bit stuck? Probably. Can God ask us the same question? Most assuredly He can. What are you doing here? So our transformation can get a little bit stuck. And I think if you look at transformation, I would like to suggest there are really four interlocking principles of transformation. Uh, interlocking because I think they need to sort of move together in a sense. Um, I call them the four N of uh, interlocking principles of uh, transformation. Let me go through them uh, quickly. The first N is that it is uh, never too late. It is never too late to transform. Because if you look at this question that was asked of the prophet Elijah, and as the scripture records for us as far as possible, Elijah was at, lack of better word, the tail end of that relationship. Because after this, God has asked him to anoint two other kings, pronounce judgment on another, anoint Elijah as his successor, and then he was transfigured. He was taken up to heaven. So compared to his earlier ministry where he did with the prophet Baal, widow, rain, and dew, and all that, I would say that he's probably maybe three-quarter done or maybe uh, you know, 80%, 90% done. But God was pursuing him even at the last stage of his ministry. So it is never too late. It is never too late. The second end, I would say, now is a good time. Um, I, I would like to illustrate this with you know, the illustration of a bending knee, for example. Now, as you know, if I, I make everybody stand up, which I won't, um, and then I say, uh, okay, bend down a little bit, right, like this, and then ask you to get up. I think most of you could do it, right, because you're just starting the bend, sort of. But if I say bend down, like squat down, like all the way, which I won't do because I might not be able to get up, you know that is more difficult. So the principle here is better now than later.
the third one, the third end, I would say, is a number our intentions. Have you ever asked a proud parent, oh, how old is your child? Three years, four months. Oh, how long have you lived in this beautiful place? Twelve years. How long have you two been married? Twenty-five years. How many shares do you have? So you get the point. If you number something, if we number something, we are generally very intentional about it. Luke chapter 19, in the transformation of Zacchaeus. So what did he do? Was Zacchaeus intentional? He ran on ahead and climbed up, climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus. If he had just stayed at home, watch I, or stay beneath the crowd because he was a he was a small man. We may not know who Zacchaeus is because there may not be a record of his transformation. How about this story recorded for us? In John chapter 8. Can we play the uh, YouTube video? This is recorded for us in John chapter 8. Music?
Okay, I think that's all. I think it's repeating. Now, the... The part that typically... And, and some people watch this and, and don't let it distract you because some people watch this and say, Oh, that woman, he may not really be at the cross when Jesus was crucified. But that's beside the point. right? That's just really beside the point. So let's not focus on that. But the part that is typically get emphasized in this story in John chapter 8 is Jesus told this woman, neither do I condemn you. And we amen to that. But there is also a part B to what Jesus said. And anybody knows what the part B is? And Jesus said to her, and from now on, go and sin no more. And I think what Jesus is asking her to do is, please decide that you will go and sin no more. Be intentional. Number it so that it becomes intentional. Let me invite the musicians uh, on stage. The fourth one Really, the fourth end is nothing about grace. Now, uh, something about grace is sometimes we fear, we fear grace because the irony of grace is that a grace-driven transformation is that those who understand and accept increasingly are aware that our inheritance is in God is not based on our obedience, but Christ, who has done what He has done on the cross. And those of us who are actually better transformed, if I may use the word, are those who understand that our relationship with God does not depend on our performance for Jesus, but Jesus' performance for us. So only His grace can truly Transformers inside out. Only then the transformation will last. So beginning with numbering our intention, being intentional about this gospel-based transformation, that is our part. But grace and grace alone will complete the work. The criminal on the cross began with numbering his intention. He said, Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The transaction took place. And the transformation had began. But Jesus and His grace completed it, completed it. And He said, Truly I tell you, today you will be in, with me in paradise. So in, in summary, I think we have talked about a lot, but in summary, the question of what are you doing here? It's a question that God can ask every one of us. 
to solicit a self-reflection or an invitation for transformation. This is because sometimes we are in the wrong place. We are in the wrong spiritual place. It can be discouragement. It can be apathy. It can be money. It can be, I have no time. Or maybe more than one of these. They lead us away from our inherited, our intended inheritance, which is a vibrant relationship with God. A gentle whisper of invitation, like what God did for Elijah, is an invitation to transform. It is now is a good time. It is never too late. Uh, but it has to start with you. It has to start with me by numbering my intention, by being intentional. And finally, God will bring it to a close. He will bring it to a completion. Shall we just rise maybe for this uh, closing song? The reason I, I picked this song for closing is because I, I really believe that uh, this is the heart of God that he, he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to transform us to a place where it is really our in, intended inheritance. However, the beauty of this is that uh, it must start with us. As we have seen in the examples given to us, from the scripture but he will bring it to completion by his grace
So this is the heart of God that He wants us to He wants to complete His transformation in our lives. Just like He wanted to do that for Prophet Elijah. But I believe as we have seen that we must will it. There is a will to it. This is our part. And His grace will see it through. It's just like Elijah at the end of the day went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the whisper of God came. My invitation for you is today uh, to respond to that a whisper that God wants to do a work in your life to transform you. And again, my insight to this is amazing that God will do to Elijah at this point of his life what he did. So for us, for, for us especially those of us who are maybe a little bit more experienced in our Christian life, we think maybe we are quite done. We are quite done already, but maybe not quite. Maybe not quite. Maybe we are like Elijah. We are stuck somewhere. But God says, I'm not done with you. So I would like to uh, invite you if uh, you believe that God is uh, whispering to you. It is very simple. I would like to invite you to come to the front so that other elders can pray with you and for you. It is very simple. It is you responding to God to say that God, I am stuck in this place because I am discouraged, because I am just have this spirit of apathy or because it's money or maybe because I'm just too busy I'm stuck and I would like you to bring me out of this place so that I can inherit the inherit uh, the intended inheritance for me simple prayer if you want the elders or the pastor to pray for you, I ask you to just come forward. Let's sing this song again.
let's just close. Let's just close in prayer. Father God, we uh, thank you that you have uh, spoken. I think our prayer is that uh, we will we will open our hearts and let you in uh, so that God, your transforming work in our lives can be, can be done so that we can be in the right place. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, Amen.